welcome to another episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me. Today, we have a special program, something that's near and dear to my heart. And so I've asked someone to come here and help me talk about the program, which is about a place called McIntyre House. It is, let me be disclosing right away, I'm on the board of McIntyre House, so that's partly why it's so important to me. Not the only reason, but that's partly why. And it is a small but very effective residential treatment home for the recovery of men who are struggling with drug and alcohol addiction in Los Angeles. And I have the executive director of McIntyre House, Bryden Harden. Thank you for having me here. So first of all, let's get to know a little bit about you, because you're the one who's going to be talking about the wonders of the house, how important the work is, and how many lives have been saved in doing the work at McIntyre House. So tell me a little bit about how you became executive director. When people ask me that, I usually tell them the story that McIntyre House happened as a matter of an answer. It was an answer to prayer. Going back to 2009, 2010, the economy in the country was in terrible shape and all that was going on. I was personally fine. I I worked for a a European-based company and we had a clientele base that was based in Europe. So... I wasn't affected personally, but a lot of my friends and you know associates were. It was, it was very, it was a very distressing time. People I knew, nobody really knew. Is this going to get better? Is this going to be like this? You know, it, has America changed fundamentally? Our, our economy, our society is. And uh, so I, I really started praying uh, very intently and, and did um, process of novenas, asking for you know God's direction. Should I just stay here and focus on this? Should I do something else? And it, it did, you know, looking back, it seems like there was something in me pushing me to ask that question. And then uh, sometime in the summer of uh, 2009, August, very clearly uh, got the direction uh, to to basically go in a direction I, that was uh, previously uh, not uh, something I, I would have thought of, uh, which was to get into nonprofit. And I, I questioned that, but I thought, okay, that, I, that seemed very clear to me. Very shortly afterwards, um, I, I had exactly two... Uh, possibilities that came my way without looking for it. I, I didn't send out any resumes. I, I kind of the providence of our Lord, right? It just really seemed to fall into place. Um, you know, so I interviewed with one nonprofit and uh, that, that ended up not working out. And then my pastor, Monsignor uh, Jeremiah Murphy, he, he approached me and asked, he, he wanted me to talk. And so we did. And then I actually did have an interview with the board of directors. Uh, you weren't there then. It, uh, they went with the other guys, it turned out. And so I went, okay, well, that didn't work out. But I had, in, in, in the meantime, I got, I got busy uh, with both continuing my work, but I also thought, well, let, me, let me go take some, go back to school and take some classes in computer science and stuff, which I was interested in. I didn't even know that. Yes, I did. So <laughs> I got very involved with that, and I thought that that would be the direction I'd end up going in because I really enjoyed it. And then uh, about a year, year and a half after that, all, Monsignor said, I need to talk to you again. I said, oh, okay, well, what's going on? So uh, that was in February of 2012. And, uh, and basically, uh, he said, I, we, we need a, we need, I, I need you to, 
take a look at McIntyre House for me. Now, McIntyre House had existed before this. Do you, can you tell me a little bit about how long it was in existence before you came along in 2012-ish, 2013-ish? Yes. Yeah, McIntyre House was started and co-founded by both Monsieur Murphy and uh, Mr. Harley Noel in uh, June of 1997. Oh, so it had been around a fairly long time already. Yeah, they got it going in 1998. They bought somewhat older property, well, 1920s house, um, and, uh, or, or fourplex actually, and, uh, and then had to renovate it. And then, so in doing that, uh, they got going with the, the first rollout of a program in, in 1998. I see. Yeah. And who was running it then? Harley and, and his wife, Joyce, they were the initial uh, executive director. And, and um, the, the inspiration of this came from Harley Noel's work for many, many years, decades of, of doing prison ministry. Oh, oh yes. And, I think I remember that. Yes. Yeah. And he did. He, he continued, he's in his 80s now and he continues. And he's on our board as well. He's on our board. <laughs> uh, but he continue, continues to do that work even to this day. I mean, they can't right now because of the pandemic, but... Uh, he, uh, it really grew out of his, uh, something that was placed in his heart about helping prisoners to combat the recidivism that they saw. In, in a kind way, they didn't really know what they were doing, but they had a lot of heart. And out of that, what happened was uh, they realized that in doing this, in taking this, this, this tremendous action, obtaining the house and, and getting it you know, renovated and all that, they realized that um, the biggest obstacle for uh, prisoners and, and people who have come out of the system was that they tended to go back to old neighborhoods and get involved with drugs. So they realized uh, as, their, as their initial board included a woman named Peggy Albrecht who, uh, ran, who ran, she's passed away now, but she ran a friendly house for many years, which was the oldest house of recovery for women in the country, I believe. As, as their board grew and they got advice and they met and they figured it out, uh, it really became clear that they needed to get a program to deal with addiction and that that would be most effective in terms of, of the core of the mission, which was to prevent people from going back to prison. And at that point, it became less about prisoners, more about just regular folks who were addicted to drugs and alcohol. They became very good at uh, addiction treatment. The original program director that they hired, Ed Kohler, had a lot of experience and, um, and he, he brought all that to bear in creating and crafting the program that we use. And I, I usually like to refer to it as, well, we, we didn't exactly invent it from the ground up, but we edited out a lot of things from other places. And so I like to say that we're, we're in a certain way, we're simple, but we're highly, highly effective um, because it's, it's, it's what actually works. Well, let's get back a little bit now. We've got kind of a little bit, a bit of background about the house established around 1997-98, and you come on in around 2012-2013. So tell us a little bit about the nature of the program and how you build this process of helping the men who live there. I should say it's also not a detox place. This is purely a residential treatment area for those who are already detoxed. Is that correct? Hopefully. Um, you know, you meet people <laughs> where they are. Um, That's true. Th there's, there's, you know, there's different components to, to various uh, parts of addiction. So, for instance, for an alcoholic, involved alcoholic, active alcoholic would be the term, 
or a heroin addict, you have to be very careful with the physiological uh, components because mm -hmm. they can seize, they can you know go into the DTs, and that can be very dangerous. So you do want uh, those people to uh, to have come from a detox if they have not. There, there's so many uh, places where you you meet people. Some people have stopped you know using for a while on their own, and so mm -hmm. you can you know deal with that. But but when you're catching people that and and usually we're meeting people at their worst. Um, you know, so you have to keep that in mind. Um, it, it's like, well, we need to have you detox before you come to us. We're not a medical facility, so we don't take that on. But we are, uh, it's a long, uh, the technical term is we're a long-term residential treatment center for men. How long is the program? The program is up to a year. And with the pandemic situation, we're keeping people uh, a little longer because things are, you know, strange out there. We are, uh, you know, we're, we're extending it just a bit, but uh, it's, it's completion is anywhere from nine months to a year for the individual, depending on their progress and where they are and, and their evaluations with the program director and, and, and the staff and, and uh, the overall sense of what's, wh where they've ended up with their, with their recovery. Well, tell me a little bit about the structure of the program so that uh, I'm guessing that a lot of folks who listen to this program or just generally don't know about what happens in a residential treatment program and specifically what happens in the case of McIntyre House. So could you give us a kind of a picture of that? McIntyre House operates, uh, it's very structured in, 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 in terms of its, its, its uh, curriculum. And uh, in the last few years, I, I've in talking to people calling for, you know, uh, doing inquiries for their family members or even for themselves. I, I tend to refer to it as, uh, it's like going to school. It's like going to university. I noticed uh, you used the word curriculum. Yeah. So you talk about it from a more, and I know we have as a board talked about it from a more educational point of view. Describe that a little bit more. Well, what we do is recovery uh, education, basically. We're not a big operation, so we don't have um, we don't have doctors, we don't have you know uh, psychiatrists and stuff. Uh, we 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 work with those, we refer out you know our clients, but uh, we don't have that in house. So what we do is is recovery education, and and basically as uh, the the previous program director put it, uh, coming to McIntyre House is like seven or eight years of going to meetings compressed into a year. It's very intense recovery. The the clients do. Uh, it's built on well, the technical term is it's it's built on a modified it, it's a modified therapeutic community and based on the matrix model and that's a whole specific uh, approach to treatment uh, that's highly effective the the time factor the length of the program is what I think it's the combination of the two an addict's brain is compromised by the substances that they use in the chemicals it takes at least from what I've been quoted from uh, doctors and from researchers uh, from UCLA, the brain of an addict or an alcoholic is, is healing at two years. I mean, the process, you know, whatever the new post-active addiction brain is going to be is about a two-year mark. And now it continues. It doesn't happen quickly, unfortunately. And, you know, most treatment is based around an insurance model of, well, here's 28 days of, of money for treatment. And so we don't follow that, you know, we don't take insurance, we, you know, we're reliant on donations and support from uh, uh, both the Catholic community, the recovery community, individuals, you know, but we, you know, we, we work very hard to make sure that anybody who really wants to be there is able to be there and get, have the time and the attention and, the, and be able to put in the work needed to 
really turn around attitudes and belief systems and, 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 and just give themselves a chance to heal. For clarity's sake, even though it was founded by a Catholic priest and a friend of his who was in the prison recovery arena, McIntyre House is non-sectarian in terms of, of whom it admits and who is treated and any needs that they have. I just want to make sure that's clear. So it's not specifically a religious organization. It just happens that there's a phrase that you have used, and I love the phrase, that it's Catholic social justice in action. Correct. Well, I think the other, you know, the other word it used to just be called charity, the more contemporary, the you know, Catholic social justice. And, and this is, uh, I was listening to something the other day, and uh, the, the works of mercy that, you know, it, that we're called to do and perform in our in our faith as necessary in our faith you know McIntyre's does you know every day you know we, we take in literally people who are homeless um, be, you know because of their addiction but homeless and hungry thirsty sometimes almost naked they've lost everything and we give counsel to them and we, we you know we, yeah there's there's many of the points of the of both the uh, the corporal and the spiritual acts of mercy that we hit you know, very consistently. Things that people don't realize when we talk about Catholic, there's the big C Catholic, which we are, we attend the same parish and things of that nature. And then there's the little C, meaning universal, the universality of Catholic teaching. So the small C, universality of the big C, Catholic teaching that has us going out into the world and trying to make a difference. There's, um, I think, you know, in, in the world there's been a, a divorce between religion and, you know, what's called social justice, you know. You know, we just get on and, and just do it, you know, and, and all the other organizations in the church, the nuns and the, the priests and the monks and, you know, lay people that have, you know, that work with uh, uh, marginalized communities, certainly ours is amongst, among the most marginalized, you know, they just do it. Um, the church has always done that. The, you know, the hospitals that were run by nuns, you know, for decades and decades and decades. And the educational system and everything has been back to St. Elizabeth Ann Seton and, you know, and St. John Newman setting up the parochial school system in the country. So this is something that, you know, the church has always just done. I, I think that uh, to be informed, you know, we had, we had a visitor a number of years ago, you know, someone quite well known in the field. And he says, no one can do what the church can do when it, a group of people get behind an idea. So, you know, people are very generous in terms of people who have worked there over the years and, and supported it, uh, and it really is a, our, our faith in action. Well, let's go back to the program itself. Take me through the intake process and what you do day-to-day with the residents so that we get a little feel for that and what their lives are like and what your day is like as the executive director. To be clear, also, we have uh, a program director who is trained in the area of rehabilitation, drug addiction, alcohol addiction. So you're not doing that kind of stuff. No. You're the, everything administrative falls on you yes. and some other stuff is too. Okay. So tell me a bit about the average day. We're talking November, 2020, and it's, uh, we're in the midst of a pandemic. Uh, so it's a little different. So, um, you know, we, we had to make all the adjustments that, you know, any organizations had to make. Uh, I, I closed the house to, to any new admissions in March, and that held through till almost the end of June. And then we decided that you know, as more information came out, and you know, it was 
was available that we would uh, we'd take a section of the house and make that our quarantine area. And then we would um, start taking in new people. So when someone calls, like, you know, I had a few calls today um, in the afternoon. And, and basically it starts with a phone call. I mean, in the past it would start with someone sometimes ending up on your front door. But uh, usually even, you know, it starts with a phone call and an inquiry. And then we start, we start the conversation. Uh, COVID, of course, have slow, has, you know, I tell people, that, look, everything's slower now because of this. Uh, we have to keep ourselves safe or, you know, our current residents and our staff and as well as, you know, uh, the new people that come in that become part of the house. Uh, so it starts with a phone call. Then it, it goes to a screening process uh, on the phone before it used to be in person, uh, but with the program director. It's a bunch of questions about what's going on, what it, what does this look like, how long, and you know, and but there's also the tangential stuff of any legal issues, any medical issues, any uh, you know, uh, psychiatric issues. Uh, again, we're not a medical facility, so we work with doctors and and, and such. A fair amount of our clients, uh, probably over half, have you know some dual diagnosis issues, but uh, they need to be uh, on working with a doctor and on their medication and we follow you know we just uh, you know any changes comes from a doctor not from us so so from a screening on the phone then goes into uh we then we have to line up uh there has to be a perfect alignment of uh, an available quarantine room of which we currently have two and then we have the person test test negative and then they can come in and then they then they're in quarantine for two to three weeks and then we retest again and if everything's negative then we we invite them into the, the rest of the community. Today, actually, we just had the return of our art therapist after you know about six months of not going out. Uh, so we, uh, the art therapist returned today, so I'm very happy about that. And they did it outside between the back building and the front building. It was a beautiful Southern California early afternoon, and it was perfect. But a, a day is scheduled from uh, during you know early morning from seven till about ten o'clock at night. And uh, it starts off with a, a morning walk for a group of residents in the neighborhood around the block, and then uh, a morning meditation, and then breakfast. Uh, previously, we would have people part. You know, a big part of our, our work was to get people working again, but we can't do that now. So, right. So we made a uh, we made a decision to put them into school online. So a few months ago, we we raised a little money and people donated uh, computers and stuff. So. Uh, we had, I think, we ended up having five, five people that would take classes at the local community college. I should interrupt here because yeah. I don't think I've asked you, and therefore you haven't said, how many people are resident on a general basis at McIntyre House? Our normal uh, full capacity is 16, uh, but because of the quarantine issue, uh, I, our new temporary full is going to be 14. And, I see. Uh, so, and, and there's a fluctuation in this, you know, some people, we just had uh, two people and a third coming up this in, in another week and a half complete. And uh, so, you know, our numbers always uh, vary, uh, but we'll, our range right now will be 12, 13, 14. And, I see. I'm sorry, so I interrupted you about how the program kind of looks. So the, the program, uh, the core of the program is, is based on... Um, the 12-step program of AA and CA and NA, Narcotics Anonymous, and that is the basic uh, kind of philosophy of the house. And, and, and so there's different uh, packets of, of work that they get per month. 
and they have to complete these packets to move on to the next one. And what's involved with that is writing. Uh, they do. Uh, some of our work is based on uh, rational emotive behavioral therapy. And that Albert Ellis. Albert Ellis, yes, correct. <laughs> which was the forerunner of CBT, which we. Which is Aaron up, uh, Beck. Aaron Beck, right? <laughs> Very good. You know your, uh, you know your, twentieth uh, uh, twentieth uh, century psychological uh, innovators, and uh, but it's very effective uh, for um, for addiction. It helps take the current thinking, the current thought, the automatic thought that can be quite distorted and it helps them challenge that and also attitudes and belief systems about life themselves. You know. I think the thing I wanted to mention that sometimes happens when it comes to talking about people with the drug and alcohol addiction is the sort of attitude that the public has that some of us all have that this can't be us, but in fact, addiction happens in many different ways and the thought processes that you're talking about having to do with Albert Ellis and Aaron Beck are things that we all have to deal with in our various levels of addiction and like eating addiction any kind of addiction that we have so it's not that we're that different from the people who end up coming into the program we're actually more the same than we think absolutely it's a it's a very it, when, when friends or family ask me about my work and stuff, I say, well, it's, it's very humbling work. Um, that's, that's the sense I come away with it the most uh, consistently. It's broken humanity in a very um, heightened way, in a very focused way. And when we have graduations or when, you know, I, uh, when I, you know, I talk to the clients and I encourage them, um, you know, my interaction with them is mostly that. In a way, they're, they're quite fortunate, and I, I will tell them at their graduations and stuff, is that, you know, all of us have problems. All of, you know, we all have challenges yes. and problems. Addiction just makes it a lot worse and much more difficult to deal with. And, and uh, I said, but one thing that you do have that most of us don't have is, is an incredible support uh, system, which is what the 12-step uh, uh, groups and stuff can provide because... They really are there for each other, and they really—it's it, a whole program of life and living. There's so many people in corporate America and, and friends and stuff who would benefit, but they have—they don't have anything to go to like that, you know. So I said, in that sense, you're you're quite fortunate. But it, it's a, it's a terrible plague, a, a disease, and, and that they suffer, and and it's 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 wonderful when it works and you see it, and it's it's terribly sad and and frustrating when it doesn't work when you see someone just struggle and, and not able to stay or get it or but one of the things i know about mcintyre house is that it has a fairly wonderful success rate in terms of transition back into the community after the program yes we're very proud of that we we, we take a very uh hard measure of our of our success rate and we measure it a year out from completion uh, not everybody, you know, not everybody uh, stays, you know, and completes. Uh, some people stay for a few months and basically clean up and, and move on. Uh, but the ones who stay and the ones who complete, we hover, you know, in the high 70s and, uh, to about 80% success a year out. And that's considered very good in the community of recovery. Extremely high. high. So people in the business who know, who when I say that, they're like, wow, that's, that's outstanding. I wanted to make sure that I pointed that out because it is quite a wonderful providential if you will thing but of course 
part of the hard work of the house itself and of the people who are going through the program that I wanted to make sure I mentioned this. What I'd also like to do is because I think we have a lot to talk about is I'm going to continue with this program with you, Brian Harden, Executive Director of McIntyre House, next week on Ordinary Old Catholic Me. So come back next week, next Saturday, and listen to the second half of our program about the most amazing little engine that could, is the way I kind of look at it, mighty, mighty little place called McIntyre House with our executive director, Brian Harden.